Welcome back to the Comedy Store Podcast. I'm Rick Ingram, your host, and I've uh, got a special guest today, someone I'm very excited to be able to interview and uh, has some history with the Comedy Store, so that excites me, uh, Mr. Yakov Shmirnov. Yes. Hi. How are you, Yakov? Terrific. Thank you so much for asking. Thanks for having me on. This has been um, uh, quite a journey to come back to the Comedy Store, and uh, so I'm excited to talk to you. I was very excited when uh, I first saw you back on the lineup. I, I looked at it, and I'm like, is that that's for real? Yakov's coming back? Still alive? Wait a minute. What? Well, I, I grew up about two hours from Branson, so oh, oh, I knew okay. you, I'm from Kansas City, okay, so okay, I knew good. you were alive. I just uh, usually the comics we got um, from your class uh, was essentially just Barry Diamond. He was okay. he was the only guy <laughs> who I saw in the lineups regularly, okay. and uh, he, he was he's kind of uh, I'm not sure what the correct term is, but creepy is how I would uh, <laughs> would describe him. So, um, but I was excited to see you on the lineup and uh, still crushing it, still making oh, crowds laugh. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now I know you came to the comedy store originally. The late 70s? Yeah. Is that right? 78. Yeah. 78. Mm -hmm. And how long had you been in America at that point? Oh, very short time. Uh, I, I came here in 77. Okay. And lived in New York for a while. And then I, um, um, I was working there. I didn't speak English well enough to do much comedy, but I was trying to translate some jokes and, and try them in the uh, comic strip in New York and... Catch a Rising Star, and it was okay. And then I was working as a shipping manager for this company in New York. For uh, it's called Greeting Bells, okay. And they were shipping like Christmas ornaments. And uh, when Christmas was over, uh, the lady uh, who owned the company said, "I know somebody in um, in Hollywood." that might be able to help you if you really want to um, be in show business. He is the producer of Tree's Company. And at that time, Tree's Company was pretty hot. Big time, and, yeah, yeah. Big time. So I kind of got excited and I said, okay, so if I buy a ticket round trip for 10 days, I, that was my plan. I, I come here, I meet Ted Bergman, and he makes me a star, and then I can come home and buy <laughs> Fifth Avenue apartment for my parents. That yeah. was a very, uh, yeah. very clear plan. That Not was too very... different from my my theory when I moved out here. Really? It's just going to be real easy. Yeah. I've got what it takes. Yeah. No questions Everybody's asked. Everybody's waiting. Movie for... contract. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So why is taking everybody so long when you can just, as long as you know the right person, right. you're in. So I had this plan and I come here and I needed to have a showcase for him and he agreed to come and see it. And so I, I booked one at the improv. Um, and, uh, that was, I think Sunday nights was there and then Monday night at the comedy store. Okay. And so I did my, uh, but there the time slot was really late, like, two o'clock in the morning or something really late. Right. And nobody was in the club. So it really wasn't the, but here I got like eight 30, uh, time slot, which was great. And so, uh, I was excited. I, I still had six days to spare to my, right. to, to meet my deadlines. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, so unfortunately Ted Bergman called and left a message that he couldn't make it. Oh, damn. And it was really sad because I was like, I came all the way here. That was the plan. So now the right. plan is ruined. So, so, but I already had the time slot. So I came on stage, did five minutes, potluck. And uh, I was disappointingly leaving the place. And Chrissy, who used to work for Mrs. Shore, she used to book, um, she was assistant. Okay. And Chrissy's running after me and she said, congratulations, congratulations. I said, what, what do you mean? And I said, the guy I was showcasing for didn't come. And she said, no, no, Mitzi liked you. And I go, who is Mitzi? <laughs> and she said, well, she's the owner of the comedy store. Go talk to her. And I like, so I go sit down next to Mitzi and, and she says, stick around. There is always place for good and different. Yeah. 
And I go, well, thank you. That's nice. You know, but I, you know, my parents are in uh, New York and I really need to provide for them. And I, and she goes, so what does your dad do? And I said, he is a building construction engineer. And she said, can he do handyman work? I said, probably. She said, well, why don't you bring him over here and we'll give him a job? And I'm like, wow, really? Yeah. And so when she likes a comic, she, she was she generally very kind of, oh my goodness, to, oh my goodness. To try and get. Yeah. You. And where do you live? And I said, well, I'm staying with some friends, uh, you know, and, and she said, well, there's a house up there that uh, you can rent a room for $150 a month. I'm like, okay, okay. So my life was all of a sudden because. Yeah. And then she said, come back tomorrow and see a regular show. And I, again, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know what's yeah, happening here. Some Nothing. lady, right. little, little, tiny exactly. lady. Yeah. So I come back next day and I see on the line that first Robin Williams uh, came on stage. I was like, are you kidding me? And then followed by David Letterman, followed by Leno, followed by Billy Crystal, followed by Richard Pryor, stopped by. I, I was sitting in the back of the original room and I thought I died and went to heaven. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. And now I look back and I'm going, you know what? It's interesting because my 10-day plan was actually accomplished by day five. Right, right. I was already here. I didn't yeah. realize how where I was. And, yeah. I, and then it was like... That probably helped though in some ways, don't you think, to not realize... Maybe, maybe I was into. in this nervous, yeah. well, whatever it was, maybe I, I, yeah, probably. And so, so my life changed. I, I moved into the Crest Hill, moved my parents to, um, Hollywood. My dad was coming here to work and I was helping him. And then eventually he couldn't really, he was getting older and, and I, I wanted you know, Mitzi to be impressed with what we were doing here at the comedy store in terms of carpenter. And so I became a carpenter full time uh, for two years. I was doing this. You're doing all the fix it. Odd I jobs was fixing and- up. I mean, I was, I was, uh, you know, like she wanted to put um, booths in a uh, bell room. So I was the one who was stretching the vinyl and making those booths. In really? The room. Yeah. And then building the cabinets and then fixing, hanging pictures everywhere. So to everywhere, it's just like I walk in here and I go, wow, this is like, this is my home. This is, this is where I kind of, and then slowly she would give me a spot here, spot there. And I would learn English and, and then Andrew Dice Clay moved into the house and so he was teaching me English. Can you imagine that? Yeah, he. Uh, I, one of my first good <laughs> comedy gigs was Dice took me on the road with him. Oh, cool! And like he took me to Miami and New York uh-huh. and like pretty cool yeah. places. And for you know we'd go for like two or three weeks at a time and come back. But he he had told me some stories about <laughs> living in Crest Hill <laughs> and uh, yeah. living with you. Uh-huh. And at some point he lived with uh, Kennison. Kennison was there, um, yeah. but. Um, he, he described you as the good roommate. Oh, thank you. You were, you were the one roommate that he didn't have to worry about <laughs> coming <laughs> home with <laughs> two pounds of cocaine <laughs> and nine oh, uh, prostitutes. So stories there. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I, one of the best stories I probably ever, because I, Mitzi would put me, I was always clean. I never used bad language or, you know, any customers. Oh, she would put me after Argus. That was my time slot. Right. And, and um, and so I would finish my set like at 10 and then maybe hang out here for an hour and then I go to bed 11, 11.30. They, they, they Argus and, and the, the guys would not even come home till like one, two o'clock in the morning. And then they would stay up all night doing whatever they were doing. Right. I didn't know. I, I swear, I was so innocent. I had no idea. And so every morning I would wake up and I would go downstairs to where the uh, kitchen was, and there was a big mirror laying on the table, and I never knew what it was for. But <laughs> but I saw some powder on it, right? So I'm thinking they eat donuts. I assume that. <laughs> sure. They eat donuts off the mirror. The American way. Powdered donuts I, on the mirror. I assume <laughs> that that's what it was. And, 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 and then I would tell them, like whoever was up, I would say, Arius, why wouldn't you put... The, why wouldn't you use plates? I mean, 
You have a dishwasher. <laughs> you could just put them, and it's, it's, why do you need the mirror? And they would laugh, and no sure. one, for weeks, I would not, they would not tell me what it was <laughs> and why they had a mirror on the table. So eventually I learned. You know, how, how old were you when you, uh, when I you started? I was 27 here, 28. Okay, and then, uh, not to backtrack, I guess, but did, did you do comedy in yeah. the Soviet Union? Uh-huh. I did, I did. I was... Fairly successful. I, that's how I kind of discovered America because I worked in a uh, Russian cruise ship. I call it the Love Barge. Okay. And that was my gig. <laughs> and uh, and then and then because I was master of ceremonies, and so they would give me interpreters, and the interpreters would help me understand what was going on. And so I started to see how different the energy of people from the West was. They were freer. They they had. Right. They, they were happier. And so that kind of started the ball rolling. I'm going, oh, maybe I need to get out of there. Comedy might be a little more uh, might be. rewarding. I, I didn't know. know. I did yeah. not know. I honestly didn't because we had the Department of Jokes and they would censor your material. Really? I, I swear to God, it, it, once a year and you submit it and it was on the state level, like if each state would have their department of jokes, it was right. part of the minister of culture. And then, then it would go to Moscow, which was like the big department of jokes. And it was so bizarre because those, they, you know, the, the, uh, the bureaucrats, they didn't understand humor and they were supposed to, they're okay. proving it. They yeah. were okaying this if it's, you know, and you had to stay with the script. Otherwise, you get fired. Right. And I, I assume there's no, uh, you know, mocking the government allowed, that kind you of can thing. Do, you can do it once. Yeah. And, right. then, and then you have to pack your bags. <laughs> so, you know. so, yeah. I mean, again, it was, uh, you had to be way, way more subtle. Sure. And and sometimes you can get away with some things, and and good comedians were able to pass through this censorship, some stuff that the intelligent people would get, and right. the and the the it went bureaucrats over the heads would of the not others. exactly. Uh, were there were there like big name Soviet comedians? They were several big names that I was kind of after patterning after as, as a kid. I would listen because I started. Um, doing comedy it was getting paid already when I was 15. Oh, okay. So, so I, since I was a kid, I would listen to, and again, radio, the way we, we see it here, it doesn't, didn't exist. It was more like you have, they called it Tochka, which was just a one speaker connected, hardwired in every apartment to the main radio station. Right. And that's how you would get your news. That's how everything was like programmed. It's like, so once in a while, normally it would be like Sunday morning that they would have a comedian do a monologue that they recorded, you know, and I would record those on my little or big tape recorder at that time. Right. And I would record them and then I would memorize it by two days later, I knew the routine. And there were so many, so few routines uh, that were really good uh, that it was kind of my training. It was like my, as a kid, I would just tell everybody that, that, that those jokes. That, right. uh, and Arkady Rykin was the guy who was like the main guy. And he was- Arkady? Arkady. Arkady, Arkady Rykin. Wow, yeah. okay. And he was the main kind of a, communist approved, but yet he was able to get away with some things. A little edgy. A little edgy. Um, And so me repeating those routines would get me girls and get me popularity. And I was, you know, popular in school. So it kind of gave me that sense of, hey, they're laughing. And I also grew up in Odessa, which is uh, Ukraine, which is in the Black Sea. And when I went back, actually last September, I went back with my kids, took them to see the, where I grew up. I, I realized that that was just like a, a training ground, that whole city for some reason, and it, they called it capital of humor in Russia. Okay. From the whole Soviet Union, this was the capital of humor. For some reason, it accumulated a bunch of people there that were intelligent and 
and they were they were funny and they, and so everywhere you go and uh, which was surprising to me because unless you go to a comedy store or to some kind of comedy club you don't hear people tell jokes to each other here right. it's very rare yeah there it's almost like hello okay. have you heard have you heard and it's just like a it's like a training specifically in that city i don't know why so i now understand a little bit more because people say to me, well, how did you become, why were you funny? Because a lot of times people come up with humor from pain, a lot of pain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can't say that I was in pain. I lived in a, you know, communal apartment, but I didn't know any better. Yeah, so it when wasn't, you're a kid, it doesn't. Yeah, I wasn't like life. complaining. Exactly. Right. I was like, hey, this is the way it is. And yes, we bitch about it, but everybody lives like this. No problem. Sure. But yet people would come up with humor over and over. It was just a funny place. Well, and were your parents funny? Was your, your my dad your was, dad was funny? Yeah, mom was more straight. She was, yeah, 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 yeah. She would like go, What 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 what's funny? And then <laughs> him and I would laugh and yeah. Yeah, that makes it almost funnier as a kid if one of your parents oh, doesn't yeah, get yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, what, what what are you guys laughing about? Okay, we know it's our secret, you know. And uh I take it they didn't there wasn't a lot of American comedians mm -hmm. over there. Like you probably didn't get to hear any of that. None. Carlin none, or Pryor no, and all no, that. No, 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 The only, I mean, you'll be, it was Charlie Chaplin. That's the only. Right. He's kind of universal. He's one of those. And because he was on the communist side. Right. They promoted him all over. And so we, I grew up watching them and watching my parents falling off chair of the chair laughing at his stuff and at the same time crying because he knew how to just grab your heart sure. and just twist it. And so that was a very, it was influential because I understood what was going on and I was relating to this kind of humor. Right. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I did not know anybody else. Um, Jim Carrey was here a couple months ago and uh, he was kind of asking like, who from his class in the 70s and 80s still performs. We said Yakov just came back. Mm -hmm. He's been performing. Uh -huh. And he said, uh, I remember Yakov showing up. It seemed like it took him no time at all. He showed up in a BMW and <laughs> was looking good, dressed really nice. And the rest of us were, you know, just <laughs> scraping by. And he said, we all just kept going. Yakov is just crushing it. I said, that's awesome. I, I hadn't heard that before. It's but. interesting. It's true. It's true. It was a, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was kind of my way of, um, I, I kind of figured this out that the, I, Americans look at the car you're, you're driving and look at the clothes you're wearing. Right. And they don't know what house you live in. They don't care. <laughs> Which is very L.A. It, it's so much. So I, here I am living in Mitz's place. Right. I'm paying $150 for my room, right? Crest but hilling I'm living, it up. But yeah. I'm living in the 5,000 square foot house. Right. Right. And, and I, so a friend of mine calls me and he is a, a Russian guy. And he said, I heard that if you go to Germany, you can buy a Mercedes cheaper there. And if you, we can borrow some money. He said, I know some people, we can borrow some money and we can go to Germany together. And I swear, and we can, <laughs> and we can buy two cars. And if we each, and then we sell one and we keep one. And it, it made sense. Wow, yeah. Right? I mean, it that's a hell sense. of a plan. So we get on it. So we get on, um, um, we, I, I got excited about this because I'm going, this is, a, and, I, and I want 450 yeah. SL. I didn't go for anything less than that. Sure. I want, and I'm picturing myself driving in the convertible in the middle of LA. It's going to be great. So I, uh, we bought tickets and uh, go, and the cheapest tickets were to London. So we figure, well, we just nearby there, we just take a train and go to Germany and buy a Mercedes. Plan was perfect. Yeah, comedian the problem, planning. <laughs> yeah, the problem was neither one of us were American citizens. Neither one of us had visa or anything that we thought of that we might need. None sure. of that. So we fly into in, uh, London and they look at us 
And they go, What's, where are the visas? And we're saying, well, we have a refugee travel, traveling document. And they say, well, that's not a visa and it's not a passport, so you have to go back to America. And we're like, no, we're here to buy a Mercedes. And they go, no, you're not. You're going back to America. So, and we, so we argued long enough with the authorities there, and we thought maybe American embassy is going to bail us out. Nobody no, did. No one cared, yeah. So the plane left, right? They were about to put us back, but we said, no, we're going to wait. So now we say, okay, so now they put us in jail, for a night because we are, we're not supposed to be in UK. We're, so we're, you're in jail in London. We're in jail in London. Okay. And, and I'm laughing so hard because here I am coming to, I'm, I'm going to be a big shot and here I am in jail and all night I try to fall asleep and I can't and I wake up and I laugh. So the prisoners that are legitimate prisoners are there and they're thinking that we're crazy, <laughs> so they don't want to sleep either because they Who knows think, what you'll yeah, do, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so anyway, so ended up they they sent us back to uh, to New York, and then you know, but but I was relentless. I said, we'll find a way, and uh, we we went back, and we went back, and it took us a while. We got a visa, some kind of a visa, Belgian visa, whatever it was, whoever. Whatever you could yeah, get. Yeah, whatever we could get on yeah. a quick pay. Got to Europe and bought the Mercedes, two, two cars each, and shipped them to America, sold one, kept another one. So Jim Carrey's right. I mean, I my brain was like going, how do, how do I create this vision of this thing? Success. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I loved that. I mean, Jim Carrey has obviously done a lot of things since those years, but yes. in his mind, it was still so still fresh, there. just the jealousy he felt of you <laughs> pulling <laughs> into the parking <laughs> lot <laughs> in your awesome, Mer or your awesome BMW. A Mercedes. It was a Mercedes, yeah. Mercedes Benz, yeah. And, and, then, and then, oh, so, so there was a punchline to this thing of going to England, going to jail. I get, a couple of years later, there was a, a comedian, Bob Monkhouse. He was okay. a big comedian in England. And he had a TV show. So they, uh, Bob Monhouse show invites me to come to England now, this time legally. <laughs> and so I go, okay. And they paid me like 10,000 pounds or something like that to do this. So they give me a bag of money, the brown bag, paper bag, and say here. And so I figure I'll buy a Rolls Royce in England because now I have a Mercedes, right? So, right. We'll, so. So, so I'm not, I'm not bragging by the way, this was just funny stuff. And here I am, <laughs> here I am in this little house paying 150 yeah. for the room, right? Now I have two cars in my garage and nobody else has a car. Yeah. Everybody else is walking <laughs> and I go, Hey guys, you're not using the space. Can I have my, you know, put my, so I had a Rolls Royce and a Mercedes in the garage. When, when I didn't have a place to live. In. I, I love how quickly you adapted to really almost American consumerism. I Just like, you got to have know, this I, stuff. I, I, I noticed that it was impressive. Yeah. And believe me, it ended up on covers of magazines. Here I am in front of these two cars. So it, it worked. Yeah. It worked somehow, you know. And uh, I, image is huge, and especially in LA. I mean, people. It, what they see is what they believe. So, but but I also think it was like rags to riches story too, because right. it, it was making it was making kind of like an average person say that he's living in American dream, even though yeah he's living in somebody's house in a little yeah. room. But it doesn't matter. You can still do it. You can still make it. And and what the the concept? I mean, I was born in eighty one, mm -hmm. but I grew up still. Soviet Union was still. The, you know, our, yeah, the evil yeah. empire, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. what we were taught was just whatever they wanted us to think, which was that if you live in the Soviet Union, you have nothing. You could trade blue jeans for it's, everything. It's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah. It was accurate, yeah. I mean, we didn't have anything. We didn't, we didn't miss it because we never had know. it. Yeah. Right. Um, but we had no, like, I had no phone. I had no car. I had no... Uh, we lived in a communal apartment with nine families in one apartment. When we went back with my kids, they could not believe it. They thought I was filming all this time, you know. Was this their first time yeah, going over there? Yeah, first time. And we went through that apartment. 
I, and it's worse than I remember. Worse because nothing was repaired, re- nothing yeah. was done, rebuilt. Thirty and... years later, no more than that, almost forty years later, nothing was done. So it's really crumbling. Still, nine families live there. You walked into a little bathroom, just one bathroom for the, all nine families, right? And the bathroom is maybe three feet by four feet. Okay. I mean, it's like. Like a tiny little closet, yeah, a essentially. Tiny little closet. You have a toilet, you have a sink, that's it. And nine families. It like, could be sometimes we had like up to 20 people in that apartment. Wow. In one, yeah. So, what I'm saying is, it wasn't inaccurate what they were telling you. It's right. just shocking that people live like that still, you know. And when I went back, I was blown away that it was like, that yeah still like that yeah with everything else that's changed over there yeah, it's still yeah. and some places are gorgeous and rebuild and re- you know this particular place Just, whoever is living there now don't don't care or don't want to do anything and and it's still like that. So I'm saying that it was accurate. It wasn't exaggerated. Right. It wasn't it just, just government propaganda no, or something. No, it really no, was tough there. Taking they were taking the actual things. The problem is. you think it was exaggerated because you don't believe that people would live like that. Right. And there, everybody lived like that. So it was not much that they had to exaggerate for you and just say, here. Right. You know, and then when I come to America and I say, well, I had a department of jokes that I had to submit, and everybody was laughing. They're going, are you kidding me? Yeah, that that can't be real. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, just thinking about how few comedians would exist in this country if they had to get... I mean, I guess there's some level, like if you want to get on TV, you want to do the Tonight Show or something, you have to get your jokes approved, but you, you, you could still do, do them at a club yeah. without any question. Oh, yeah, People yeah. say the worst things in the world oh, here. Oh, my so. goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody cares. I remember uh, I was in a club and they were talking, it was Jimmy Carter was still the president at that time and he had a hemorrhoid operation. Okay. And the guy said that he's going to be a perfect a-hole all over again. And I was sitting in the back and I ducked literally <laughs> because I thought somebody's going to shoot him. Yeah. I mean, this there is no way you can get away with this kind of a Say joke. That about the president? Right. right yeah. Right. That's right. funny. Yeah. God, there'd be so many dead comedians. Oh, my God. If, if you couldn't insult the president in this country. <laughs> Argus would have been taken out years ago. He, he might still be doing Jimmy Carter jokes. <laughs> uh, all right. And so then you showed up here and it was late seventies and w- there was multiple comedy stores at that point. Yeah. It was a Westwood comedy store, La Jolla. Did you get more stage time Hollywood Westwood, or Westwood? Westwood. Yeah. Westwood. She, a lot of people were uh, there. Yeah. Westwood. And then slowly the main room opened up. And, you know, the career was kind of building slowly. Um, you know, I was trying to get on the Tonight Show, but I, they, Jim McCauley was the booker for the show at that time, and he didn't, he didn't care for me. He didn't care for my humor at all. And so Mitzi was very much thought that I should be on yeah. the Tonight Show, but she couldn't help. He would come. And last time he came, it was like six years, took me six years for him to come, come. And then finally he came and said, listen, you know, don't, don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. You'll get on that show when the hell freezes over. So you don't. Damn. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so I kind of let go, you know, and uh, start doing more of my stuff. And I did night courts at that time. uh, Then I did Miller Lite commercial and that became popular. And then Carson saw the Miller Lite commercial and he called McCauley and said, so this guy, he's pretty funny. Why don't we have him on? And he said, oh, we were about to, you know. And oh, so everything changed once Johnny is interested. Yeah. So then I get a call. I was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina doing a show there and that Mitzi called me because McCauley didn't want to call me directly. So he called her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the lack of balls in this yeah, business. Yeah. So he, she called me and says, guess who called? You know, I said, who, Mitzi? Macaulay. He wants you on the show right away because Johnny liked you. 
So I, I, I said, Mitzi, why don't you tell him to go and, and then before I said it, I said, no, you know what? I think I'll do it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'll yeah. <laughs> don't burn that bridge just yet. Smart. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, so that added, as you know, that was like a That's huge the, That was thing. the deal. Yeah, get on Johnny back. Huge, huge thing. And then Johnny called me over at that, you know, to the couch. Another big deal. That was huge too, yeah. And, and the joke. You know, I, uh, Jimmy Brogan was uh, helping me, kind of trying to coach me. And, and, and he said, if he, if he calls you over, because it wasn't planned, if he calls you over, don't wait. Just sit down and say, and, and um, I had a great joke um, that in America you have things we never had in Russia, like policemen have warning shots. <laughs> right. And I, so I sat down and I just said, once he called me over, I said, Johnny, I just love America because you have things we never had in Russia, like policemen have warning shots. And he, because he wasn't prepared, he didn't know it's coming. He almost fell off the chair. That's and awesome. I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, they, in Russia, they don't do that. They shoot, they don't shoot up in the air. They shoot you. And that was warning for the next guy. <laughs> and boy, he was just, and Macaulay came over in the break. And goes, how about doing one another shot like this, and maybe two, three weeks from now? I go, I, I think the hell must. must. <laughs> it's, it's getting cold. Yes, in yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yeah, I did eventually seven of those. So I was very. He liked me, and he kept bringing me back. And Brogan's a great guy too. Yeah. He's a great yeah. joke writer. And yeah. He's he's one of the since I do a lot of crowd work, mm. people would say, Hey, you gotta see Jimmy Brogan. Yeah. I got to do a couple shows with him down in uh, Hermosa. Yeah. And uh guy's fantastic. Yeah. Great performer Very still. Smart. Very um, smart and yeah, he helped me a lot when I was doing my Broadway shows. So yeah. Very, very, very good man. Um, now, my first experience with seeing you was on Night Court. I was an enormous Night Court fan uh -huh. growing up. Uh -huh. And uh, how did you go about booking a gig on Night Court? Was you know that what? Harry Anderson uh, was uh, a fr a fr is a friend. And so we were doing a show in Newport Beach together uh, at Laugh Stop. And he just started doing um, the show. And... Um, I'm assuming that he brought it up to Reini. Reini was a producer. And um, lo and behold, there I was doing my first episode. And then they liked me and they kept bringing me. It. So I did seven of those as well. They brought me every year, brought me back. So it was a really good ongoing gig. Yeah. And if I recall, the, the plot they ran was that they were trying to deport you back, but they were doing all they could to keep you in America. Actually, first episode was um, that I was arrested because I was selling stolen watches. Okay. But I didn't speak English. So they kind of, um, they needed an interpreter and they said they're going to put me in jail for to wait. And I said, I'm not going to. So I put gasoline all over me and I'm holding the lighter to, and I said, I'm going to blow myself up. Okay. So it was a cool episode, kind of a, it was one of the first ones. I, uh, and Jay Sandridge directed it. He's a great director of sitcoms. And so um, it was a very well produced episode. And, uh, and Harry ends up talking to me without me speaking English and understanding, connecting on the level of the family and connecting children and stuff like that. So they liked it. I worked really well. And then other episodes where I learned the language. So then I have my wife coming and it's a wrong person. So many, many plots. <laughs> High jinx they, ensued. Yeah, 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 they found it. They found really good good plots. It was a good show. Yeah, I, I loved it. John Larroquette was mm. always hilarious. Marky Post yeah. was beautiful. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Great it thoroughly. Cast. Yeah. I, uh, I ripped off a line I heard you say on that uh, show when I was, I, I want to say 15. I was a freshman or sophomore yeah. in high school, and I was in uh, world history class, yeah. and uh, we were <laughs> learning about um, the Russian Revolution and all this stuff, and the teacher came in and said that he was giving us a pop quiz. And uh, I'd seen a rerun on TV the night before. 
and it just was fresh in my mind. And I said, oh, this is a crock of Bolshevik. My teacher said, what, what did you just say? <laughs> and I told him again. He was like, oh, that's great. He's like, we're not, we're not doing the quiz. Oh, and everyone was like, cool. yeah. And then I just sat oh, there like. I'm so happy. I, just, I forwarded your education. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't fail a test yeah. because of your comedy on Night yes. Court. So. Uh, it's one of those things that always stuck with me. I'm like, oh, it's kind of like you're saying, I guess you just, you see people get the laughs when you're young and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, I can, yeah. I can say that. Yeah. They'll think that's funny. That's great. Timely to what was going on, I guess, in my class. <laughs> um, but then, uh, all right. So then you lived in Crest Hill, you lived with Dice yeah. and, uh, I read somewhere you lived with, uh, Tom, Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson, uh -huh. who, he was uh, one of the roommates. Yeah. He uh, went on to he played Biff and uh, the Back, Back to, the, to the, Future the Future movies. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I can only imagine just from the stories I've heard from Dice and with people talking about the craziness that went on there. But he was. I mean, you lived there for how long? And three, four years. And it was just three years insanity three years. most of the yeah, time. Yeah, but but again, I missed a lot of insanity because I go to bed too early and then right. wake up. So they weren't awake most of that time. Right. So the insanity, a lot of insanity was happening at while you were dark, asleep. Yeah. Dark, yeah. Dark time. But still plenty, plenty yeah. insanity. So it was, it was interesting to learn about relationships for dice. Right. Dice was my coach and Tom Wilson was like going, don't listen to him. <laughs> That's what I was just Please thinking. Like, I don't, don't, I don't do think you want to learn yeah. women yeah, from Dice. Dice gets me, you know, he says, hey, yeah, you should just get get her a ring. Get her some nice ring. You know, you're going to get what you want. You know, so so he goes and we buy a ring and I bring the ring and Tom, Tom says, I said, what do you think, Tom? And he said, this is an engagement ring. Are you ready for it? I said, no, no, I no, <laughs> That's I'm not just trying, yeah. trying to get, yeah. And 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 see, I, he said, who told you to buy this? I said, Dice. He said, look, Dice is not a representative of human race. <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to him. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is the last person I would take <laughs> advice from if I'm trying to meet a good girl or someone that... <laughs> I'm going to give a ring to for sure. And yeah. Dice has always been really cool to me. Yeah, and uh, he he's, I was so shocked when I met him, like what a good daddy is. And yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Cause he, he, he's not always the Dice man character. No, and, no. And, and he I, calmed down a lot too, but, but also when he started, we didn't see that side of Dice at all. I mean, we saw, uh, he did impressions of John Travolta and right. Elvis and, um, Stallone, and it was all very clean. So it wasn't. So it's after the HBO kind of seduced him with the first shot on on Rodney Dangerfield, and he did those nursery rhymes, and right. boy, took Blew off up. like crazy. Yeah. So then they really kind of waved the carrot in front of him and says, "Hey, let's keep that let's, yeah, keep that let's attitude keep that attitude going exactly and so at that point that was the the dice was born uh, right andrew was somebody i totally can relate to and and laugh probably harder than anyone else that i know that he can get me to laugh just out of control right because he's just so he's such a character yeah, yeah yeah it's like you know with all the cigarette and the yep. jacket and the whole thing and it, and it was like i met him in dangerfield club in new york before i came to uh la and and it was our actually first gig that we got paid in america i and he he got paid forty dollars i got paid forty dollars and so it was like an important thing and so he wanted to kind of hang out and I'm thinking, and he scares me, you know, in that a big time. dude and big yeah. dude in a leather jacket. It's like, I'm like going, I, 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 I don't I, speak yeah. English. Yeah. I want to go. And so, and so I get me in so trouble. I'm, and so I moved to LA and guess what? You know, I'm in this house and the knock on the door and I open the door and here's Dice, yeah. He's Guess so excited. What? I'm your roommate. I'm like, oh, what uh, happened? I, yeah, I am in so much trouble. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then we became good friends, three years together there. So and uh, a lot of fun. Man, that's crazy. And then and you have, 
You have a family. Yeah, you have I have kids. Two children. They're uh-huh. they're adults now. I take they're it. They're twenty five and twenty three. Yes. Wow. Uh, and are, are they funny? Do they have my the son bar? is my son wants to do stand up, and he was actually with me in Branson this season doing um, five minutes set and. I don't know what he's going to decide to do, but he right. definitely was getting laughs consistently, and who knows? You know, maybe that's what he wants to do. I don't know. I I can't tell at this moment. Yeah, it, they grew. Do they grow up in Branson? Do they, they grow, grow up, up there in Branson? Yes, and um, and they now live. He's still. He's there now. Actually, the company that I rented my theater to, which is Acrobats of China. Chinese acrobats, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they they hired him for a year to do this um, emceeing for them. So it's kind oh, of gives cool. him stage time and an opportunity to really explore where he wants to go, right. what he wants to do it. Work on the craft yeah. as and, necessary. And my daughter is in California, in, in Northern California, in Padaluma. And she is managing this band, the road managing the uh, bluegrass band, and they tour around the country and actually That's outside awesome. the country. Yeah. So both kids kind of playing with show business Entertainment, idea. yeah. Yeah. That yeah. can't be a lot of... Uh Ukrainian men whose kids are managing bluegrass bands. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a niche. Yeah. It's a niche market. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm from <laughs> Kansas City. So we, we get a lot of bluegrass bands. I'm, I'm familiar with that genre for sure. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so you've moved, but you're back in LA now. I am. I am. I'm here to stay. I'm, I have a, um, a PBS special that I finished well, filmed uh, two two weeks ago and editing right now. So it's going to air on March 5th, March 5th at 8 p.m. And so that's kind of a different brand that most people know me for. It's called Happily Ever Laughter. Okay. And it's a neuroscience of romantic relationships. So this became kind of my passion and, um, and I hope to to make a difference and help. I got my master's degree in psychology. So I'm yeah, kind of, that. I'm a professor you, at Missouri state university. So I'm, what did, uh, what, what led you to want to do that? I mean, to go from, I was really studying a lot. I think it started with my divorce. Okay. And the divorce kind of surprised me because I thought it will be happily ever after kind of a thing. And then I start looking around and realize how many of those are out there around. And then I start seeing that correlation between laughter and lack of laughter in during the divorce. So beginning in the honeymoon stage, there's tons of laughter. Yeah. And there's no laughter during the divorce. Attorneys are laughing. Nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that became kind of like I said, wow, this is a pretty interesting topic because as a comedian, I create it intentionally. We all do, and this is something we do for a living. But average person doesn't have that luxury. They don't normally create it intentionally. Sure. Um, but they do have a period of time. Most of people, and I asked that question over four and a half million people in my theater. That's how many people been to my show. And I would ask them, I said, how many of you remember laughter being part of the honeymoon stage? And they all applaud. Sure. And so, so something that was there, it's like when you have four and a half million people agree to something, there's something odd. They're on. Yeah, yeah. You seem to be on point there. There's some something, kind yeah. of a, a. A truth to the, uh-huh. what you're saying, yeah. So just now it's discovering what is that. And I think that laughter, beca- so what I started realizing that laughter is a gauge. Laughter is a byproduct, really, of needs being met. Whether you're on stage they came here. They want to just release stress, not to think about it. We're meeting their needs. Right. We think we're just making them laugh, but we're actually meeting them need their needs before we even make them laugh. Because if their needs are not met, they're not going to be laughing. True. So this became kind of a scientist in me, woke up. And my dad was an inventor. And so I guess I have that desire to 
dissect things and kind of understand what what's the logic behind that. Why is it working? Why yeah, is it, yeah. Or like buying a Mercedes in in the beginning of my career. Right. Where's the logic there? You need yeah. food, buddy. Yeah. No, food will wait. I'll buy a car for our We can get more food if, if we have, I have a yeah. Mercedes. Right. So there was some logic there. And so I have and when I went to school actually, um I went to University of Pennsylvania and uh, Martin Seligman, who is uh, Dr. Seligman is a positive psychology. He, he found that field and stuff. So one of the tests he has, it's called VIA test. And what is virtues in action? And what it is, it's like your natural strengths that you use for life. And this test, you answer like hundred questions. It's free online. Um, but what it gives you in order of priority, your top strengths. And most people not aware of it. I wasn't. So yeah. I would assume that humor was like high Near in the my top, list. yeah. It was number 11. Wow. Number one was ingenuity. Number two was originality. Number three was inventiveness. Number four was tenacity. Number five was social intelligence. And when I look at those five, I'm going, that was the car that I bought. That's whatever I accomplished. It was that ingenuity, originality, just, you know. Yeah. So, so you were doing it without knowing you were doing it. I didn't know. Right. And that's kind of what made me think about, I can make an actual contribution to the world or to, to people for them to recognize something. And most even comedians, we don't even know this. And uh, uh, William James, who is a father of American psychology, like 1800s, like he is very well, well respected. He said, we don't laugh because we're happy. We're happy because we laugh. Yeah. So whoever comes to comedy store or any comedy club, they think that. Yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't. I believe it's the other way around. Right. We make them happy first, and then they laugh. They don't, they're not happy because they're laughing. Right. They're happy before they're laughing. Interesting. It, it's an interesting, and I will, it's a long way for me to go, but I'm doing right <laughs> now, I'm doing a baby study that is the children start laughing at four months old like actual laughter, not smile, but laughter. Right. Four to eight months, their their needs are very basic. They're, they need to eat, they need to sleep, they need to be burped, they need to be changed. Very, It's like on your hand, five needs, boom, done. If you know what they are, the baby then ready to laugh. The baby will not laugh if the diaper is not changed or- Right, so, it's yeah. hungry or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, it's not. So what I want to do, I'm doing the study as we, I mean, right now I have uh, this pediatrician lady that's helping me to have families who will videotape the baby if it's crying and they're going to try to make him laugh or her laugh without meeting their needs. Right. At first. It's going to be a tough challenge, but yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, no, this is my hypothesis, right? Okay. Okay. I might be wrong. They I, might I, prove I, me wrong. Yeah, I don't but, think so, but yeah. But so so the baby needs to be happy before it can laugh. Okay. And I believe that every comedian deals with it. Every one of us. We deal with it. We just know we're good in making them happy. Right. And we're doing it fast. And we have our own... You ha you're brilliant at what you do. You're like, you zoom in, you see the audience, you know who to go after. Right. And you just well, thank go you. from what, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, and it's it's just so fast. It's amazing. But you are creating that moments of happiness for the group. And whether it could be at somebody's expense. Sure. You know, yeah. that person might, well, they might not know that they're not happy yet or whatever. <laughs> They'll, it will come to him in the car. Wait, what did he yeah, say? Wait, wait, he wait, what? You me? called me what? Wait a minute. Yeah, so, someone once told me uh, my comedy follows the same philosophy as the U.S. Army. <laughs> and that <laughs> they'll say, I'll sacrifice one for the benefit of many. <laughs> I was like, I, that's not my intention, but okay. <laughs> 
I'll accept is that. that. Their, is that their motto? I didn't know that. I, I think that's just in general kind of a military I see you. Theory. Sacrifice one for many. Yeah, yeah that's you good. sacrifice a few soldiers for the rest I, of your country, whatever There you it is. go. There you go. Yeah. But you you make the other the group, and there's 400 people in there, and you might take one, you take them out. Yeah. But then they come back, then they're laughing at the other guy, yeah, you know, yeah. or the other woman. Or I, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I make it a point to try and not just... Ruin someone's one, time, right? Yeah, because right. yeah. it's very same thing. Like once I can tell that it looks that like they're, they're kind of getting offended, suicidal. Just then move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once <laughs> once they get when the they razor blade razor to the wrist, out. I go. Well, hold on. What about this guy over here? He's a bigger loser than you. <laughs> and you make him feel good. Yeah, yeah. And then he's laughing now. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And it, but it, it took me a while too, though, because. I started doing kind of messing with the crowd when I was yeah. on the road with Dice. Uh-huh. Before that, I just told jokes. Uh-huh. And then when you're opening for Dice, mm. you quickly learn that crowds don't want to see anything except for Dice. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I'd yeah. go out there you had to, you and had to. someone would be like, get off the stage, pussy. And I'd be like, oh, God, this isn't good. Uh, uh, and Dice uh, is like, you can't look scared. Yeah. If they attack you, you, attack them back. They'll eat you, yes. And so I started doing that. But then I found out that a Dice crowd is not an example of a, a normal crowd. Yeah. So you can't just be mean to people right. like you can with the dice crowd. <laughs> so then it was trying to make it so it wasn't so insulting and more kind of charmingly offensive. Uh-huh. You're joking with them. Uh-huh. They're part of the inside joke kind uh-huh. of thing. Yeah. But but that's actually a very good, um, for this experiment, for this particular uh, theory, uh, you're, it's watching their... Whoever is on the hot seat at that moment, yeah, I wonder: Are they laughing a lot, or are they more like stunned at that? You can see it; I can't tell. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, most most people, and especially in LA, people love being a, the focus a, of okay, attention. Okay, okay. So most of the time, I get great responses, yeah. even when I'm picking on someone or whatever. Yeah. They know it's a joke. Yeah. Um, I try and always do it with a smile on my face. They know I'm not just trying to bully them or whatever it is, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I find most people are, are okay with it. Yeah. And but I'm wondering at that particular moment, because I'm dealing with moments, I'm yeah, dealing yeah. with, it's just, uh, and measuring that is very difficult, scientifically measuring when, because it, it happens in a split second of the difference. I believe it's like thunder and lightning, right? You hear, you see the t- lightning because speed of lightning is a lot higher sure. than speed of thunder or uh, sound, yeah. right? So you you see that flash and then boom, boom, boom. You right, know? depending on how so, far away it is, it could exactly, be. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I believe that's the same correlation between happiness and laughter. I believe that happiness is lightning and and laughter is the thunder. It'll come after. Yes, I wonder if that, and this is probably a little different, but I, I've noticed over the years that um, a lot of kind of depressed girls uh-huh. come to the comedy club uh-huh. and are attracted to comedians. Oh, and I think a lot sense. of it is because it makes them, sure. they laugh a lot sure. and they feel good. Yeah. And it takes them away from Absolutely. whatever it is the that's food, bothering the them. food does that. That's yeah. why we are so a beast today as Americans because we want, if we're unhappy, we have an easy way to be happy for a second. Right. It's just putting Stuff, Cheetos. Food in yeah. your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's always and then, available here. And it feels like, oh, and then, you know, so, but, but you're asking me, why am I, why am I passionate? Why did I yeah. get into it? That's why, because I believe that there's a very, um, big misconception of using laughter as a bandaid, as a crutch, as a, and not knowing how you create it yourself. So we do that during the honeymoon stage, and it's hormonally driven, and that's what this TV special is about on PBS. It's pretty much understanding that, and then using that to your benefit. You can control it if you're aware of it. Right. You can you can't bring back the laughter of your honeymoon stage if you knew how you did it right the, the first time. time. Sure. Wow, that's awesome. I don't think most comedians ever get that deep into the psychology of it. That's so. great. I, I don't think so, but for some reason 
I just happen to like this and I do it all the time. And I, I've been, this is a product, this labor of love, like last 20 years, I've been on it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully the PBS audience responds well and helps people. Hopefully, and hopefully they, more people will see it. That's great. Um, one of the other things I like to kind of ask people about yeah. is uh, the comedians that they watched and the ones at the comedy store that they saw just crush. And uh, I know you obviously had a relationship with Robin Williams. You mentioned him earlier and you did yeah, Moscow much. on the Hudson with yes, him. Yes, very much. And, uh, yeah. Loved, loved his comedy very much. Um, I, I guess my favorites were Seinfeld, um, Shandling. Um, I loved, um, Carson stuff at that time, you right. know. Um, um, so I I admired Cosby. I'm not supposed to say I, that yeah, anymore. I, I don't think we're supposed to say it, but so we're, we're allowed to because are, if his comedy is it's, was funny it's and great, it was funny, funny and great. Yeah, I didn't have drinks with him. Yeah, I was gonna say, thing, so I didn't. You, you didn't say I support everything Cosby does <laughs> off camera. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but. So, but he, he's I, I did a legend of comedy. So yeah, I, I loved his stuff. That you know. So and um, now you know I watched um, um, Louis C.K. in in the comedy store here, and I yeah. did not know much about his work. I I kind of lived under the rock for twenty three years in Branson. So Louis C.K. is not that's not a Branson comic. Not a Branson yeah. comic. And boy, I was laughing so hard. I was so um, impressed with his He's great. brilliance, yeah. brilliance, and makes and, you think and, and charming and and cruel and and <laughs> all the good all stuff at the yeah. same time. Yeah. I mean, just that smile is just like so disarming. Yeah, and it's just like he just he looks like a normal guy, but he is oh, anything but. Oh my goodness! So. So definitely a big fan at this point. Yeah. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, uh, Great. a big fan. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more for me to discover. I'm actually kind of feel like I'm reintroducing myself to Hollywood and I'm also learning what's what's hot and what's happening. And, Who's and out so there just being, doing- being at the comedy store back feels feels great. It's it's nice. Uh, certainly, everyone seems to enjoy having you back. Well, so thank you. I, I haven't heard anyone say negative stuff, oh, which flows you. through this place. <laughs> when people come back, or even people who have just been here a couple of years, the the amount of uh, just trash talking that goes on <laughs> is great. But well, I've only heard good things about having well, you back. You. So thank people you. are excited. And thank uh, um, yeah, who uh, who have you? Who did you see? just have the greatest sets like out of those Besides guys you well i mean i'm i'm talking back when when it was yeah. legends oh, row oh, all the yeah. time oh like prior, prior oh my goodness yes prior billy crystal um uh i mean i i watched uh Leatherman, I watched Leno, I watched. Uh, and are these uh, they're just doing their 15 minute yeah, sets and yeah, just crushing they were just and, coming in and yeah, and it was so inspiring to see that, and then, um, and then you know, the Jim Carrey's and uh, and Roseanne was right. killing, killing at that time. Louis Anderson, Arsenio. I mean, oh, you go that down that hallway, and those the pictures they just yeah jump out at you, and they all were huge. Uh, Funny, 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 funny. I, I interviewed Argus, and uh-huh. uh, you know, I was just kind of talking to him. He, he he obviously got into that powdered donut scene a little bit. He um, was he was the one who was <laughs> setting the mirror. Yeah, yeah, he was the one. Yeah, uh, but just kind of talking to him about stuff and the the random little things that he remembered were like you know I mean I knew who Sandra Bernhardt was, yes. but he. Uh, the way he described like the reaction she was getting and stuff, just oh, crushing. Yeah. And, you know, John Belushi coming mm. to watch a Sandra Bernhardt showcase. Right. The same night he overdosed and died. It's just like, it's just true. the crazy stories where I'm like, wow, it's just true. to think that 
She was, was so hot at that point. That that's mm-hmm. what was like the thing was. And Whoopi, when Whoopi, Whoopi came, Goldberg, oh yeah. my God. You know, it was like uh, everybody was like, we didn't know. She came from New York and all of a sudden she just exploded, you know. And Howie Mandel and uh, I mean, all of those people were just just part of this scene. Yeah, you know? they're just another comic yeah. before they were household names everywhere yeah. else. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, well, I appreciate you being on and, uh, so fascinating to, to talk to you about this Thanks. stuff. Obviously you. you got quite a unique story in the world of comedy and, and, uh, I'm hoping to just kind of reintroduce myself to a new audience and hopefully they'll, they'll enjoy it as well. Yeah, I think they will. I've seen you recently doing fantastic. So, Thank you. um, come by the comedy store, um, you know, Yakov's here, it seems like, yeah. you know, at least a couple times a month yeah. on the weekends oh, yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, no, I'm planning to be yeah, on the weekends for sure, yeah. He'll be the one who's dressed nicer than everybody else <laughs> and uh, driving, nice driving car, a nice, nice car, <laughs> still living the dream. Um, yeah, come by the comedy store, come see a show. The comedy is booming again. Yeah. The comedy store for the last couple months has been insanely packed. Yeah. And it's great for comedy to have just sold out shows again and uh, you know, we're, we're getting people like Louis CK the yeah. other night I was leaving and there was a line all the way down the block and up the, the hill towards Crest Hill, <laughs> just people waiting to see him. So, uh, come by and, uh, recommend the, the podcast to friends. And, uh, do you have anything you want to promote other than the PBS special at this moment, PBS special and hoping to be on dancing with the stars, but yes. uh, we need to start the campaign hashtag Yakov on dancing with the stars. Someone, someone out there knows Tom Bergeron. Let's make this happen. I know Tom, but yeah. he's not, he's deciding. not answering. No, Damn he's it. not. I, I'd love to see that Yakov on dancing I with the stars. That. that would be amazing. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you doing pleasure. the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back with more episodes. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye.